Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing these shows since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, Pitch It, the FinTech Startups Podcast with Todd Anderson, and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro. Or you can listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service. FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest FinTech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the most important FinTech stories into your inbox every morning with special commentary on the top story of the day. Stay on top of FinTech News by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, we have a special treat for you. I'm delighted to welcome Marco Argenti. He is the Chief Information Officer at Goldman Sachs. And Marco was actually our opening keynote at the recent FinTech Nexus USA event. And today's episode is a recording of that event. The title of this session was A Revolution of Knowledge, Generative AI, Data and Digital Transformation in Financial Services. So we do a deep dive in AI and it's not just about theoretical applications. What Marco does, he sort of gives us an insight into where this is all going and what it means for developers, what it means for people working in financial services, and what it means for the efficiency of organizations. And truly, I thought this was just such a fascinating discussion. I had more comments about this particular session than any other at the event. And you'll find out when you listen to it, he brings up this concept uh, of being superhuman and that AI can really help with that. Anyway, give it a listen. You won't regret it. It it was really a fascinating discussion. Okay. So let's maybe kick it off with just giving everybody a little bit of background about yourself. I mean, you haven't been on financial services your whole career. You came to Goldman Sachs from AWS. So tell us a little bit about that journey. So first of all, thank you for having me here. Of course. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I've been in uh, technology pretty much all my life. Uh, believe it or not, I started to write code uh, when I was 13, which is now over 40 years ago. <laughs> and uh, things have definitely changed. So um, I spent the last, uh, uh, before coming to Goldman, I spent uh, the last six, six and a half uh, years uh, uh, at AWS, where uh, um, I was uh, uh, really driving some of the uh, innovative areas uh, launched, uh, for example, serverless, Lambda, uh, the messaging, uh, uh, a lot of the Internet of Things product. And at the end, uh, I was really engaged uh, in uh, what we used to call digital transformation, especially in the context of uh, how uh, Internet of Things and how um, some of the new uh, emerging technologies like edge compute will uh, transform uh, the way uh, some of the industry will do their business. And so when I started to realize that, you know, my primary focus was shifting from uh, talking to the CIOs to actually talking to the CEOs of those companies, for example, automotive companies, 
I started to realize that uh, technology really was starting to have uh, a seat at the strategic table. Right. Was starting to be top of mind uh, for CEOs, was starting to be top of mind for, uh, um, for boards. And so it's kind of when I decided that I wanted to be part of that transformation rather than from a vendor standpoint to actually be within a company that is going through that transformation. And uh, so that's kind of what led me to, um, uh, you know, I was looking at, uh, uh, let's say, what, what, what would be an industry that will kind of drive that sort of transformation. And, you know, financial services uh, is a fully digital uh, industry. It's fast. It's not constrained by, for example, physics. You know, you don't have to bend metal. You don't have to build, uh, you know, airplanes or things that are large and complex uh, from a physical standpoint. And so I wasn't anticipating what was coming, which is kind of this AI revolution that we're all uh, uh, living right now. But I felt that there was something there. And so that's what kind of made me uh, do the move. Right. So then what, when you're talking with, uh, say, your CEO, David Solomon, and the board, what is, what is top of mind in your conversations today? Well... Right now, you cannot escape uh, uh, the topic of AI, no matter uh, where you are. And so that kind of is a little bit dominating uh, the conversation at the moment. But in general, uh, especially David Solomon was uh, uh, always an advocate of uh, putting technology at the center of transformation and of the, of the strategic agenda. And in particular, the idea of uh, empowering developers and empowering uh, um, people that are into technology, not only to improve the way we use technology internally, but also how could we offer technology externally to other developers, which is kind of what led uh, to what we used to call the financial cloud, the externalization of our services, and then which culminated with the creation of uh, our platform solutions uh, unit. And so today, if I look at... Um, you know, you have uh, these two, like, kind of opposing forces that are top of mind pretty much for every CEO, especially in our industry, which is on one side, you have uh, an increasing uh, regulatory activity and regulatory pressure, which really is looking to put safeguards in place. Uh, um, and the other one, you have uh, the opportunity of AI that is kind of pu pushing to really, really rapid pace of innovation and how you balance the two and how you do it safely, how you actually navigate that line between uh, innovation, safety, compliance is actually one of the biggest challenges that every CEO and every CIO and every board that needs to, to, to think about right. today. Right. So then let's dig into that for a little bit, if we could. I, was re I read an article that you wrote recently where you talked about generative AI and you compared it to the invention of the printing press which is a pretty, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty big kind of step in human history, that particular piece. So maybe you can ex explain what you mean there. Yeah, I mean, everybody's coming up uh, with their own, uh, uh, you know, hyperbolic metaphor uh, in, in a way. So you hear people saying it's like the internet and no, it's not. It's like fire, it's like the wheel. So <laughs> I picked the printing press, but not... Not randomly. I mean, so there are two ways to think about uh, 
AI today. And they're not mutually exclusive. You can think of it as a sort of a sustaining technology, which essentially makes your business more productive. And you can think of that uh, as a disruptive technology, especially on the area of knowledge. And that will actually make your business more competitive. Now, productivity is great, but it's not enough. I always say, you know, you can get fit as a human body, but you don't, that, that doesn't necessarily make you a champion, okay? Right. <laughs> now, it's a necessary but not sufficient uh, uh, condition. And that's like efficiency. So you can be very efficient, you can still not win in the market. And so I think it's the revolution of knowledge, what AI brings, uh, that I think is transformative. And let me actually explain that uh, uh, a little bit more and why the printing press. So the printing press, created uh, the conditions for scalability of knowledge. So removed the, the barrier of physical access to knowledge. Before, in order to know, you know, like if you wanted to know math, uh, you know, maybe you needed to know a mathematician and have access to his manuscripts or hear his words. The printing press eliminated the constraint of physical access to knowledge and led to the creation of libraries, universities, and you know, obviously schools and, and education as we know it today. Still, a very important barrier exists, which is the accessibility of content from an understanding standpoint. So if you have a very complex book that is kind of you know, written for a mathematician, but maybe still it contains a lot of concepts that uh, you as a business person, for example, want to access, or a technology book, you will have to even ask someone to translate it for you in simpler terms or in different terms, or you will have to study a lot. So there is a barrier there. What we see with GPT and with uh, AI is that it's almost like a book that explains itself. It's a book that actually explains itself uh, based on how you are actually interacting with the book itself. And for, for the first time, the reader and the writer are at the same level. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. When you, so you basically, as, you talk, as, I, as I hear you um, talk, I think of, as you say, really complex books that you know, maybe a very small percentage of the population can understand or really complex topics. What you're saying is that AI is going to bring that, make that available to you know, almost everybody yeah. at, the, at their level. Yeah. So. And so imagine the impact that it can have on society, but also the impact that that can have on, on, on corporations, okay? Right. Which I think is one of the most fascinating. So a lot of the knowledge uh, in a company, and I, I think people that are listening to us today might relate to that. If you think about your own company, what is knowledge stored? And definitely the answer is not databases, it's not documents. Right. A lot of knowledge is tribal and is kind of in the heads of people. And then you need, uh, when you join a new company, the very first thing you need to do is finding someone <laughs> that knows about a certain subject. So you create this network and it, sometimes it takes years. Imagine a new uh, employee joining Goldman or joining any other uh, you know, company, large and small. The time that it takes to master knowledge, the time that it takes to have full productivity is generally very long. 
So what if you could codify the knowledge of a company into a model that you could query and it will give you relevant answers the same way as the most or the biggest expert in that company would give you. And so I think one of the things that I see coming, I mean, is that every company at one point is going to actually want to create those models that are highly personalized. There are really distilling and, and really like codifying the knowledge there is within the company itself that now is not written anywhere in a way that is interactive to people. And I think that could be the biggest productivity boost that I've probably seen in my lifetime. Yeah, well, we, when we chatted uh, uh, recently, you were saying that you can, so it, it helps people become superhuman, like a yeah. superhumanizing the, you know, the top performers. So yeah. like, why don't you elaborate on that? I think this is a good way to kind of think about uh, um, what could be the return uh, or, or the potential of the return on investment, right? It's very hard right now to quantify, and even this superhuman kind of idea, it, it's, you know, it might sound theoretical, but then you can think about the following. What would uh, a, and then you can put your own percentage, what would a boost of productivity of X percent in a particular person with regards to his knowledge would yield. And so let's start with developers. Developers is kind of the area where we started also. We started to you know, do proof of concepts and experimentation on uh, uh, products that will automate uh, or actually like suggest code that then developers would review and then put in their code, okay? So a boost of developer productivity you can easily see at least a 10 to 30% boost of productivity. So a superhuman developer could be 30, 40% more productive. If you map it to the typical IT cost of an organization, especially in our field, that you know, very quickly can add to hundreds of millions of dollars a year, which then you can choose whether you want to realize it as a velocity increase, so you do more and faster, or you can have a cost saving, but that's kind of the parameter. You can think about superhumanizing your top people, what would that happen if they could be, you know, 10, 20% more efficient in terms of the, client, the companies that they cover, the clients that they cover, the strategies that they uh, come up with. And then you can kind of price that amplification and that will give you a little bit of an idea of the return of investment. And that in turn will allow you to prioritize where to invest. And that's kind of a type of exercise that we're going through right now, because I tell you, one of the things, uh, in a moment, I've been through a, a few of these revolutions. So, you know, I've seen the internet uh, revolution, I've seen the app revolution, I've seen the cloud revolution, the mobile revolution. And in all cases, the two kind of factors that are so important for anybody to make decisions are A, enabling people to experiment, because you really cannot plan what the succession, success is going to be. There's just too much variable right now. But the second one is also to actually make bold decisions. You need to have some form of intuition to say, okay, I cannot do everything, but I will choose this and maybe something else. And then you really focus on those. And so that kind of intuition also comes from experimentation. And I think uh, this is a moment where uh, uh, you know, every company and every CEO and every CIO needs to go through that mental model. And I think this idea of who to superhumanize to get the highest yield, I think is a question that uh, uh, I think will be interesting uh, you know, for, for everybody to reflect on.
Right, right. So then you've talked a lot about what internally companies can do. Um, what about other opportunities for, you know, for improvement um, and, and the disruptive nature of generative AI? What, what, are, what are opportunities you're seeing? Well, so broadly, um, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, three uh, categories. Uh, uh, one is obviously on the impact on your developer productivity, uh, like I mentioned, on your IT spend in general, on the fact that today actually there are products that are off the shelves that will immediately make your, uh, your, your developers uh, uh, being able to really shorten the time uh, uh, that it takes to develop uh, code, but also to test code and also to create uh, you know, the test cases for code, etc. So that part is extremely interesting and definitely something that I think everybody should, uh, should, uh, should focus on, especially because developers today are kind of ahead of the curve and they almost demand that. So it will be a question of talent at some point. You can attract talent if you give them the opportunity to work with the latest tools. Then we're looking at the broad area of uh, uh, knowledge digitization. And it starts uh, from, for example, document classification. Every one of us receives, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of documents, which are in the form of, for example, contracts, or, you know, for example, think of derivative contracts or think about uh, uh, loan documents, et cetera, et cetera. And those needs to be classified. And then you need to do what's called entity extraction. So you need to actually extract, uh, for example, covenants and terms and conditions and make them uh, uh, readable by a machine. And it turns out that AI is extremely good at that. And generative AI can actually take it to the next, uh, to the next level. And so the whole aspect of uh, going from uh, document management and document classification, entity extraction, and then knowledge extraction, you're looking at what are the most valuable sources of data within your company. Where, where are some areas where you could train an AI to start reasoning interactively about that data? So that part, uh, I think, is definitely a very important one. And, uh, and then lastly, you know, we're looking at also automation. One of the things, one of the emerging characteristics of large models is that they are really good at figuring out uh, step A after step B and actually being very creative at creating workflows. And I think that is also a, a huge area of impact in a lot of companies like ours uh, where, uh, you know, we have extremely complex front-to-back workflows and thinking of an orchestrator, uh, a next-generation uh, uh, solution for workflows front-to-back, I think is some, something that could be extremely disruptive. Okay, I want to I switch gears a little bit and move beyond, move um away from AI, I want to talk about the, the technology that Goldman Sachs has. I mean, you've got now, uh, you know, you're an important company for a lot of enterprises that providing the technology um, for some of the largest companies on the planet in your platforms business. So tell us a little bit about what's, what goes into developing platforms that can scale at, 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 with, yeah. with some of these big companies. So when I joined the company, actually the first uh, uh, few days, literally, um, uh, Goldman did an investor day where we talked, uh, in fact, it was Stephanie Cohen and I on stage, we talked about the idea of externalizing technology. For the first time, we started to talk about developers as our clients. It was, was never done before. Developers were never clients, especially of a bank. And that meant uh, 
taking some of the technology that we had inside that we've been using sometimes for years and sometimes was completely natively created to serve uh, other developers in other financial institutions or other corporates uh, uh, that wanted to offer financial services to then uh, being able to really heavily simplify that process and allowing things like uh, an incredibly highly personalized credit card experience, like you, know, you, you guys are, are, are very well aware of that, or an incredibly efficient uh, uh, corporate sort of a checking account in the form of transaction banking. So we took a very sort of a you know, kind of bold approach of creating cloud-native product, products will be extremely developer-focused. We created developer.js.com, which is our developer portal where developers could find well-documented APIs, uh, where they could find uh, uh, you know, getting started guides, etc. Kind of things that are generally not associated with the way a bank operates, are more like thinking about a technology company, especially at our side. And so we started in this journey that led uh, to um, us actually starting to offer uh, solutions that have uh, obviously high finance content, but they're also characterized uh, by extreme customizability and extreme developer friendliness, uh, which led to products like uh, the Apple Card Savings, uh, the TXP, like I mentioned, and also Marquee, which is really our digital storefront for institution. We recently launched uh, a, a product called Visual Structuring, which is a fully mobile product uh, to do um, essentially structuring of, uh, of derivative, uh, derivative products. Uh, so I'm quite excited about that because uh, in a way, it serves a dual purpose. It pushes our developers to actually use a certain approach, which is uh, you externalize, but also you treat your internal developers as client, and that changes the game internally to your organization. When, you know, it's something that I kind of learned uh, from Amazon, that uh, if you build something with externalization in mind, even if it's internal, most likely you're going to make uh, your internal developers much happier. And so it's interesting how this shift of philosophy within Goldman, on which we, on how we actually operate our own technology, translated into you know, the benefit of being able to offer those, those products externally. I think that's a really good synergy. Yeah. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. That's all we have time for. Marco, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so today. much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.